We're going to start off reading today, if everybody would stand. If there's ever a portion of Scripture to stand for, this would be it. We're going to read in Luke 23, starting in 39, and read to 43. This is, And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation. And we justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. Thank you for the opportunity that you will open our hearts. I pray that our hearts will be open, that your words will come forth, that your anointed words will come forth, and you will be glorified through it, that we will know you closer. Just pray in the name of Jesus that you will be here with us today, and we will know it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this is actually a sermon that I was supposed to preach uh, nine months ago. <laughs> Again, every, every time, almost. I think uh, Caleb was going through finals at that point in time. And whatever it was, I was pretty sure it was one of those situations where I was sure I was getting ready to be asked to, be pre- to preach. Because... I started taking more notes specifically in one direction again, and I was just like, I was excited. Somebody's going to ask me to preach. Man, I knew the finals were coming up. So when Mr. Martin stopped by and said, hey, you know, would you might be able to preach? I didn't even say, let me think about it that time. I said, yeah, I can do that. Not a problem. Because to me, once you have what the sermon is supposed to be about, the rest of it's easy. I have the question. I can just go to the Bible and get the answers. The answers are always in the Bible. Well, during that point in time, it was a month, two weeks away from Laura's due date. So that was weighing on me. We had this really, really unique job that we were working on. And it was a hands-on job. There was no, uh, no pushing this off to somebody else. I was supposed to have a, a master carpenter come in and help me with that job so I could focus on other things. Well, my question from this portion of Scripture, and I found out while doing some research on this, was that there are a lot of questions from this portion of Scripture. One of the questions, which I uh, didn't even realize was a question, I don't know why anyone would question it, is did the thief actually go to heaven? And apparently there's, you know, because we're called to repent, and be baptized, people say, well, he wasn't baptized, so he didn't make it. But it says right there, today you will be with me in paradise. So that throws that right out the window. The thief did go to heaven. It also throws out the other question of whether or not Jesus went to hell. Because that day he was in paradise. He was in heaven. He never went to hell. But another question is why he repented. And that's the same answer that any one of us could give. This is just the grace of God. There's nothing this man did 
as, uh, as a reason for him repenting. He didn't repent because he was a good man. By his own admission, he was guilty. But my question in this actually started in the first section, the first sentence there of verse 44, and ended in the end of it. And it says, and it was the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. So from the sixth hour is when he called on Jesus for help. And he had to endure three to four hours from that point on. So what I couldn't figure out was where did his faith come from? How did he build up his faith at that point in time? And we know that he wasn't like that when he was first hung on the cross. Uh, You turn to... Matthew twenty seven forty four. We can see where he was when he was first hanged on the cross, where his heart was. And it says the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. So and also in Mark 15, you don't have to turn there, I'll just go ahead and read it. It says, Let Christ the King come uh, of Israel descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe him. And they that were, with, that were crucified with him reviled him also. So both thieves started off their day hating Jesus just as we all started off our lives. But something happened, not just to make this thief repent, but to give this thief strength. So, we know that God changed his heart. And when he had that change of heart in that sixth hour, he still had to endure pain. He still had to endure Suffering. How did he keep his faith with no victories? You know, we all go through tough times with health issues, work issues. And one thing that, you know, I've always been told is look at the victories. You look, get that, that stone placed in your life and say, hey, everything was bad here. But God got me through this. The thief did not have that moment. The thief did not have that stone to look back on. So, how did he do it? Where did his faith come from? In uh, this next part is actually part of a testimony of mine and part of confession of, of where I was nine months ago. Nate Schneider uh, at camp every year says that your testimony next year shouldn't be your testimony this year. My testimony shouldn't always be I got saved when I was eight years old sitting on the couch across from my parents doing a Bible study. Because that's where it started. You know, your testimony should change continually and mine definitely did in the past nine months. So, nine months ago whenever I was asked, I was excited. I really was. I was just... This was something that was on me. I was like, man, there was, that's faith. That is just miraculous faith. Where did it come from? So how I study 
is once I have that question, I'll look up, you know, that point in time or go through the Bible and listen to that story, and then I'll try and find other stories in the Bible that correlate. There's almost no information here. It's on, on the thief. So I just, okay, that somebody else in the Bible went through something similar. I'll just listen to their story and see where their faith came from. Or I'll listen to sermons and I don't differentiate between denominations. I just listen. Everybody's got a, a different angle that they're looking at. So even if 90% of a sermon is, is nothing, that 10% a lot of times will, will build me up. Well, the week turned off, turned out just going bad. The guy who was supposed to help me, the master carpenter, couldn't show up. His, he had family issues. Um, the, you know, Laura wasn't feeling the best. And I, uh, I completely started losing my faith in the fact that I would be able to get this sermon prepared. So, you know, Malachi, at any time, it's like, oh, he's got to be born. I have to get this job done. I have to get out and be ready to take a week off work when Malachi shows up. And no one else here can accomplish these specific tasks. There were some specialized tasks. But I sit there and I was like, well, it's all right. Even if I get to Saturday... And I'm still, you know, working on the actual sermon. I have the question. I'm good. Well, I think it was a Tuesday of that week. Paul Hamilton called me to get some work done at a store he's opening up. And we went through scheduling something out. And then right before he got off the phone, he said, Oh, are you planning on preaching anytime soon? I was like, Oh, yeah. I'm preaching this Sunday. I said, he's asked if I had anything written down. I said, no, I said, I've got the sermon idea, but I don't have anything written down. I just have to dig into it. And he said basically the same thing. Well, that's half the battle. He said, the battle, real battle, is when you get 12 o'clock the night before and you have nothing. And I chuckled and I said, well, thank God that has never happened to me. Within two hours of getting off the phone, I had lost surety of anything. I had thought to pray or to, to preach on, and uh, I'd like to blame it on Paul, but I opened my mouth, and I knew I was in a test. But the whole rest of that day, and I think into the next day, every sermon I was listening to, I was just—I'd get a note, but they were in different directions. Then I get two on the same subject. I'm like, okay, here's the new question. You know, I hear about God changing people's minds at the last second, and I don't, I'm open to whatever God wants to do. And then nothing. Well, eventually I called Mr. Martin and said, I can't. I, had, I have to cancel. I'm too busy. Laura's not feeling well. I just I can't, can't get the sermon out. And when I got off the phone, you'd think I'd have some guilt. But I was actually just, I was relieved. I was like, Phew. I got that off my chest. Now I can just focus on work. And you'd think things wouldn't work out whenever I'd fail like that, but everything turned for the better. Jobs started working out. You know, uh, Laura didn't have any close calls or anything. Everything just worked out. 
But once I had time to think about it, God put some words in my heart that have stuck with me since then. God put these words, he said, you started off this week with a question. How could a man with zero foundation endure such a great trial? How could a man without having time to strengthen his faith endure three to four hours of probably the worst test anyone would go through right when they're saved? And then the words hit me. This is, you couldn't survive a week of inconvenience. And that's not to, to diminish what I was going through. I was, I was stressed. But I was going through nothing compared to what this thief went through. And the next Sunday, because I backed out so late, we had to, there was, I think, a, it was a video sermon. Uh, it may have been a good sermon. I have no idea. I don't remember anything about that day except for thinking I was supposed to be preaching today. But I didn't have faith. So I was like, I'm going to figure this out. Because I need to figure this out for myself. But I never found anything else in the Bible anywhere close to the thief on the cross. It's the closest thing to a, to a deathbed conversion there is in the Bible. And God, I'm pretty sure, put that in there only once so that people wouldn't be counting on it. But I really, really wanted to find somebody else that I could come to and say, okay, here's how they did it. But nobody else hit the trial immediately. And even after church, I told Laura, I said, I was supposed to preach today. You know, I remember... uh, I've asked people at camp. I was talking to Samuel Politano about it. He asked me, he said, when's the last time you preached? I said, I haven't preached since I had that question. And I, you know, every morning I've talked to about it. I said, if you come across the story, show me somebody else in the Bible that went through this. I need this to continue on my walk. But no one has in nine months. And... It has put me through some dry times in the past nine months. You know, I have taken probably fewer notes in the last nine months. I don't know how, how long. It's just every time I would go to think about something else, I couldn't get past this spot. And I had in my mind that I wouldn't preach or even be asked to preach again until I had an answer to this question right here. But when I didn't find the answer, I just, I stopped looking. Well, three weeks ago, when Mr. Martin asked if I could preach, I didn't jump up and say, yeah, I can do that. I said, well, let me think about it and I'll let you know. But as soon as he walked off, you know, I hadn't been feeling like I was going to preach. Like I said, I haven't been taking any notes. You know, I've, well, I've been taking notes, but one or two a sermon, that's not many notes. But as soon as he walked off, I started getting excited because I started getting answers. So I didn't get asked to preach until God gave me answers. Even though the answers were condemning to me, they were still answers. 
And just having a conversation with God when you haven't really spoken to Him in a personal way for nine months is... It's amazing. But... He sat there and asked me, he says, you know, you have been looking. This whole time you've been looking for someone else in the Bible that went through something similar to give you faith like the thief. And he said, well, the thief didn't have anyone else in the Bible to look to to give him faith. So no one else in the Bible could show me how that thief got his faith because he didn't have that opportunity. They didn't even have, he most likely couldn't even read what they had as far as the Bible goes at that point in time. And he asked me again, he goes, there's no information on this man, so you want another man to give you faith. And he said, why are you watching the thief instead of watching what the thief watched? So just like the last time I preached a year ago with the illustration with the kid in the water holding on to a rope, my focus was not where it needed to be to find the answers to this question. You know, I'm, I'm uh, pretty sure if someone were to uh, diagnose me, I would be ADD or ADHD, whatever those things are. I can't keep my mind on one thing. Once I've got it figured out, I'm on to the next he used to work for me, and I would, uh, he'd come up with a problem, and I'd say, oh, here's the answer to the problem, and he'd come back and ask me again, and i oh, whatever I told you, you know, it's, it's done. But, apparently, if I'm focused on the wrong thing, I can keep that focus for nine months. And that is where I got to here. God just said, okay, slow down, and go through what the thief went through. And that's where we are today. We're going to try and go through the day of crucifixion from the thief's point of view. So let's, uh, let's turn to Mark 15. We're going to go to Mark 15, 6. So, to start off, those thieves most likely knew who Jesus was before Jesus was thrown into prison with them. He was infamous. There was stories of healings, stories of, you know, they were with the type of people they were, they were probably really, really wishing he was one of their friends when he turned water into wine. He, uh, he was the type of guy you'd want to be with whether you just wanted someone to do miracles or if you were on the other side and you thought he was going to be this great conquering king that was going to come through. So, seeing him be thrown into jail and finding out there was no fight, that's going to break the confidence of these thieves. And it appears, it doesn't specifically say, it says uh, Barabbas and those that were with him that made insurrection. So I'm assuming the other two thieves were with Barabbas. So, when they came in, they're all, hey, can you open this gate for me? Can you uh, just blind all these people? Can you do something to get us out of this? 
but they got nothing. I'm sure it's not recorded, but I've, I was watching something on, on a prison attitudes and prison psychology. When one prisoner or inmate starts picking on someone, the next one does and the next one does. So I'm sure they were poking fun. Either this great conqueror, and look at that, you're in here with us. This great miracle worker, and you're trapped just like we are. But Jesus is never recorded as speaking to the thieves in prison. Let's read there in uh, Mark 15, starting in 6. It says, Now at the feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with him that had, no, had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude crying desired that he had done unto them, or would do unto them as he had always done. For he knew that, er, but Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy. But the chief priest moved people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. So, when Barabbas was released instead of these other thieves, and then Jesus is put back in prison, these two other better thieves, so to speak, why would, why would the worst one get released? If anybody was going to be released, it should have been one of them. Self-worth creeps up. Brabus was way worse than me. Why, why is Brabus out of prison? But Brabus wasn't there for them to take out their anger on. Only Jesus. Jesus had taken Brabus' place. So any mocking or torment that would have been meant for Barabbas, Jesus had to take. Let's continue reading in uh, 15. It says, And so Pilate, willing to contend the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had been scourged to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Paturium. And they called together the whole band and they left and they clothed him with purple, plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did sit upon him, bowing their knees and worshipped him. So to the thieves, the whole band left off tormenting them to torment Jesus. The thieves got to see all these, pris- all these soldiers that would normally be beating me or picking on me or making fun of me. They're just picking on Jesus. They left the many who had committed crimes to torment the one who was innocent. And I imagine that one thief was sitting there thinking, Man, that should be me over there. I'm the guilty one. 
But hey, better him than me. I'm sure anyone in that situation would be thinking better him than me. He had no relationship with him. And they were probably having conversations back there thinking, man, what did this guy do? You know, the, they just said that the Pharisees are just, this, this is just jealousy. They have him here because they're losing a little bit of prestige. And man, what are they going to do to us? If this is what they're going to do to him, what are they going to do to us? And they also had to be thinking, if this guy is, this guy is Christ, if this guy is really a miracle worker that they said he was, why would he allow this? I mean, if, if I had that power, nobody would be touching me. People wouldn't be making fun of me. If I had that power, I'd stop it. I'd stand up for myself. But they had to see there was something different about him. From a thief's point of view, you don't hang around people like Jesus. People like Jesus, they're not good for business. People like Jesus are going to get you in trouble. They're the the goody two-shoes. They're the the better-than-you people. Because all the only thing, I mean, I, these people were, were Jews, so I'm assuming, I'm assuming they've been kicked out of the synagogues at this point for who they were. But they'd only ever seen someone who was holier than them. The only experience they had had was someone who would have been in prison saying, well, I don't deserve this. You guys should, have, should be over there. That is the culture of that day. So I have to think that one thief, maybe even both of them, at that point were thinking, man, this guy, is, 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 he's different. There's something different about him that they're not telling us. Let's continue in 20. This is when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one, Simon Serini, who passed by, running out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto a place called Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. They gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. So when they bring him back out, he looks like a king, clothed in, clothed in purple, Purple was, is a royal, royal color. But when they take off that purple robe, the only thing that's left is a mangled body. He was so weak he couldn't carry his own cross. They offered him wine and he denied it. And from what I understand at this point in time, because of a Proverbs Thirty-one six. There was a group of women that would follow around these these crucifixion parties and offer these men wine. Uh, you don't have to turn to it. I got it written right here. It's Proverbs thirty-one six. This is give strong drink drink unto them who are ready to perish and wine unto those that are heavy of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. I'm sure they offered it to the thieves as well, and I'm sure the thieves drank. But I would assume they offered it to Jesus first, because if anybody was in misery, it was him. He was bleeding. 
and beaten beyond recognition. His back completely opened up. Those thieves could see that he was broken. Those thieves, I don't know if they were in the front or the back. I'm assuming he was in the middle because there was one on the right hand and one on the left. So I'm assuming they went from one side to the other. So at least one of the thieves got to see his lack of physical strength. One of the thieves got to watch him make his way up. It doesn't say exactly how he made his way up. He couldn't carry his own cross. And like uh, Caleb was saying four weeks ago, I guess now, this is what it means to bear the cross. It has nothing to do with this is my burden to bear or yeah, this guy at work or this cousin I have. Those are, are inconveniences. Those are not bearing the cross of Jesus. Let's go ahead and read 24 here. This is when they had crucified him. They parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. So these men are sitting there with Jesus, watching the people separate. Hey, do you want his shoes? Do you want his coat? Do you want this garment? Here, this. too many people want this. Let's draw straws. Let's gamble. Make a little game out of who gets his, his garments. They're hanging there in the same pain and the same shame that Jesus was in. Maybe not as much pain, but they're watching this crowd gather for the show. I'm, there's no words about what they said to the crowd, but I'm sure it would not be safe for church. But can you imagine the anger just building up when you're in your most miserable time and you're watching everyone around you enjoy it? But they have to see a difference in Jesus. It never says that that Jesus ever raised his voice and screamed at him. From their point of view, he's just laying there taking his punishment. He wouldn't take the wine because then people might say, well, he just got drunk enough. Or, well, yeah, I could bear that kind of punishment if, if I'd had that much to drink. They knew he was in his right mind They knew he felt every single nail, every single hammer, every single curse and comment. But the difference between the thieves and Jesus is obvious. Continue reading in 26. And the superscription of his accusation was written, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, saying, or which saith, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, and saying, O thou that destroyest the temple, 
build it in three and build it up in three days. Save thyself, come down from the cross, and likewise also the chief priest, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. So they're crucified together, and they're both railing on him. They both cast the same in his teeth. And they're joining in with the priests and the scribes. The priests and the scribes, in some of their mocking, admit his power. They didn't say, he has no power. They said, he saved others. But he can't save himself. And that's what they were laughing about. And I'm sure this thief is starting to think within himself, well, maybe that's all the power he has is just to save others. I'd be fine with that. Just take me off the cross. Heal my body and look past Jesus' suffering. So they tempted him the exact same way the devil tempted him. Hey, just prove yourself worthy for me to worship and I'll worship you. How do you prove that? Do something for me. How do you prove that that you're worth my time? Make it worth my time. Just do something. Something that benefits me and I'll worship you. Even if he took himself off the cross, hey, that means that he's got the power. He's going to save us too. We're, we're here with him. And it, up until this moment, go ahead and turn back to Luke 23. We'll start in 39. But up until that moment, both thieves are recorded as cursing him or tempting him. And Luke is the only one that records this is in one malefactor and one of the malefactors which were hanged on him railed at him saying if thou be the Christ save thyself and us and that first thief had his moment of clarity so, but the other answering rebuked him saying dost thou not fear God seeing thou art in the same condemnation and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. That thief saw at this point the difference. That thief saw, you know, he heard the accusations. What did he do wrong? He saved others. That was his punishment. Or that was his, uh, his crime. He knew... Jesus had done nothing worthy of death, much less or punishment, much less death of any kind. They both had the chance to get to this point. They both had the exact same experiences to reach different outcomes. The difference was that was humility. One saw and said, "Hey, put on a show. I'm worth it." And that second one said, "I'm not worth it." And I deserve to die. And you don't. I deserve to be hanging here with this guy. We're the same. You're different. God 
clarified his mind. And he basically said, hey, Lord, forget what I said before. Forget about saving me here. Save me in your kingdom. He said, I'm not worth saving. I just need one thing. When you get where you're going, remember my name. Remember me when you get there. See, God couldn't save the other thief because he was already good enough. He was already good enough to be saved. He'd already done something he felt was worthy that Jesus should save him. But only someone who knows they can never be good enough to be saved can be saved. There's not... Any difference between us and the thief? I've, I put myself in the situation here. Every time I've read this, I've, I've, I've thought, man, if I was in the crowd, would I be saying that? Or if I was Jesus, could I endure that? But which thief would I have been? Nine months ago, I wouldn't have been the good one. Nine months ago, I would have been looking to be saved by a man hoping somebody was going to show up one of my band to show up where's someone else to help me through this and both of those thieves were there when it started the one thief saw humility he said man I want to be like Jesus and the other thief said man I wish Jesus was like me because I'd stop this but Jesus rewards his humility in verse 43 there. This is Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Those words are sealing his strength and setting his focus at the same time. You see, we're not saved by the words that we say when we ask God into our heart. We're not saved by one person witnessing to us. Every part of our life builds us to a moment. If we are to get saved, it has to build us to a moment of brokenness where we can say, it's, it's got to be you. I can't do this on my own. No one else can help me. I'm not going to serve you because I'm going to get something out of it. This second thief had no delusion that hey, I'm just going to ask God, Jesus to save me and I'm going to get off this cross. Because Jesus was there with him. The second thief, the first thief wanted to get off the cross. The second thief wanted a surety. The second thief just said, hey, I'm dying. Remember me. I'm not asking to get out of the suffering that I deserve. But if you remember my name, that's all that counts. And the next verse is where that question comes from. It says, And it was the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. So he suffered with Jesus for the next three to four hours. The other thief suffered next to Jesus. 
that's where the first thief got his strength from. You know, when I was preparing for this sermon, I thought I had skipped over the battle nine months ago. But my kids got sick. The rash on Malachi had been going away, just came back bad all over his body. Jedediah had a fever, then Temperance got sick, then Laura got sick. And the exact same customer that I was doing work for nine months ago came back and we we're getting ready to do more work for her. We're trying to work that out at the same time. Almost the exact same situations except for Laura wasn't pregnant. And this time was no different in my preparation. Last time I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday that I called Mr. Martin and said, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I can't do it. Because I hadn't prepared anything yet. Well, I didn't prepare anything on this besides a few notes until Saturday. But my focus was different this time. I wasn't focused on who's going to help me in this life, what carpenter's going to come in and help me get this done so that I can focus on, on Christ. But, and then Saturday, actually, Laura went out of town, like she said, with the kids. I was like, oh man, I'm going to get the whole day, no distractions. I'm going to study. And I'll have this done by 2 o'clock. But I woke up with a headache, like you would not believe. I could barely look at the screen for some of the time. And I'd, I'd take a little break and lay down, and like I've got to close my eyes, cover my head, and not let the light in that's hurting. Now, the whole time I was, I was like, man, I hope I haven't slept too long. I hope I haven't taken a nap too long. Otherwise, the whole day's going to go away, and it's going to be 12 o'clock, and I'm going to be working on this sermon. But I was no longer suffering this alone. I was suffering with Jesus. If I suffer, I want to be suffering with Jesus. Just as much as if I rejoice, I want to be rejoicing with Jesus. But both of those, suffering and rejoicing, took suffering on Jesus' part. I have nothing to rejoice over besides what Jesus has given me. It says you can gain the whole world if you lose your soul. What have you gained? As I was going through this, you know, because this was the only deathbed conversion in the Bible that I know of, I was looking through, you know, sermons about different points in time where people have done that. And I came across Mr. Rogers. Now, I didn't know, I never saw the show. But I've seen, everybody's seen clips and heard the song. But apparently he was actually an ordained Presbyterian minister. But he never brought Jesus into his shows. It was all, be a good neighbor. Just be the best you can be, and you'll make it. That's all that counts. Just, you know, won't, if you're going to be my neighbor, be a good one. And apparently on his deathbed, he's sitting there next to his wife. And an ordained Presbyterian minister has been a minister for however long he was. He looked to his wife and said, am I a sheep or a goat? And his wife looked at him and said, 
If anybody's a sheep, you are. There was no, there's no scripture there. Just, hey, if anybody's a sheep, you've done enough. Some of the stories of that, I mean, to think that he had one chance right before he died to actually recognize the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, but he got encouraged in his own works instead. He wasn't looking to Christ for his salvation. He was, he was looking to everything he had done. But the thief got his strength for the next four hours by looking beyond himself to Jesus. He watched Jesus. You know, when... when A thief dies as painfully as he did, but he got to hear Jesus cry out, My God, why have you forsaken me? Why can I not feel you here with me? I believe that that thief had clarity at that point, and God gave it to him to where he said, It's because of me. He's feeling this separation because of me. And the thief got to watch that. The thief got to watch every example that he made. He got to watch Jesus making arrangements for his mother. So I'm thinking, well, this isn't Jesus' kingdom. But he still cares about people here. He still cares about his family here, even though his kingdom, where he rules, isn't here. This is the devil's world, and he's the ruler of it. But it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't care for his people who are stuck here. You know, if we're watching other people in church, or ministers out there, like, man, that guy's got it all together. When that guy stumbles, or that girl stumbles, we're going to stumble too. We can only fall as far as our foundation, and we can only get as far off track as our line of sight. That's where the thief got his strength. So when you're suffering in trials in the future, I hope you can just stop for a moment and not picture the same thing I've always pictured. I've always pictured Jesus off there saying, you know, I'm rooting for you. I'm doing everything I can to help you. You We need to picture ourselves sitting there looking over and Jesus is suffering there with us. Any parent knows that when their child goes through something, It's the worst thing in the world. I can go through being sick and it's fine. I'll get through it. But when my child's sick, it it breaks me. Jesus is suffering there with us. He was crucified for us. And when you feel the need, hey, God, I'm going through this trial. I I don't understand. It doesn't seem like you're anywhere close to me. Call, cry out. That's, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He cried out. There was no shame in him crying out. We must be focused on the cross. We must be focused on Christ and what he did. Otherwise, 
we're going to be like the other thief, looking at the crowd, thinking, if I make these guys happy enough, maybe they'll get me off the cross. Or, he's not going to save me, so I'll just, I'll cast in his teeth what I want to cast in his teeth. We're going to turn to one more scripture. Colossians 3. I have a song that I, I'm going to have them her, have her put up afterwards. And I'll step down, you'll be dismissed after that. But when the song comes up, if we could just close our eyes and picture ourselves there. Picture where our focus should be when we're going through trials. Picture where our focus should be when we're not. Colossians 3, 1. says, If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life in Christ is hid in God. When Christ, who shall, who is our life, shall appear, then ye shall also appear with him in glory. You know... Just like I'm sure many of you, my focus, even whenever I'm not in a dry time, is on something here. There's always something else to distract us. Something else, not that there's anything wrong with being focused on getting stuff done. But being focused on getting something done shouldn't be our focus. It shouldn't be our, our heart I'm putting my heart and soul into this. People hear it all the time. You know, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get this raise. I'm going to get this. You can be determined to get something done, but our heart and soul should only be on things above. So we can appear with Him in glory and not miss the boat at the last second. Go ahead and play that song more.